Take a moment, if you would, and think about the following statement. Think about it both in theory or concept and also in practice. We'll put that up here for you. I think we will, Dan. We'll put that up there. Here it comes. You'll see that on the screen. That statement is this. When we step out in faith in light of the finished work of Jesus and the promise of the Holy Spirit, we can rest, we can rest assured that the power of God will be seen and heard in our lives. Let me say that again. When we step out in faith in light of the finished work of Jesus and the promised Holy, the promise of the Holy Spirit, we can rest assured that the power of God will be seen and heard in our lives. So I put that to you. Do you believe that? Do you personally believe that? Do you believe it here and here? Ask yourself those questions. Part of when we, part of what we do when we gather is we provoke one another. We, we, we challenge one another. We push one another. We ask the questions that we need to ask of one another, right? To stir one another up, like it says in Scripture in several places. We want to do that through the Word this morning. So I ask you, do you believe that? Have you found this to be true in your own life? I would argue that if you're a disciple of Jesus, a student, an apprentice, a follower of Jesus, the truth of that statement should be both precious and central to how you follow Christ, to how you follow Him. This morning, my hope is to show you how that statement flows directly from our main text. And our main text is just one verse, Acts 2, verse 33. Scan down to that if you haven't already. Turn there if you haven't already. Acts 2, verse 33. Now, before digging into that one verse, let's make sure that we understand what's happening around that verse in the surrounding context of this Scripture. Acts 2 records events from the Jewish festival called Pentecost. It's not called Pentecost in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it's called the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks. Many verses, Exodus 34, Numbers 28, Deuteronomy 16, many places it's mentioned. mentioned. I think it's also called the Feast of the Ingathering in one of those places. So it goes by a couple names. We're going to talk a little bit more about the timing of events here in just a few minutes. But at this point, it's enough to know that on this day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter is the one that we are going to hear speaking in this situation, in this incident. His voice is what we hear in verse 33. He's addressing a group of local Jews as well as, and this is the especially important point, a group of not only ordinary, sorry, a group of, of, of local Jews, but also pilgrim Jews from around the Roman world who have made that pilgrimage back to Jerusalem for this time of feasting. So that's important to understand that you've got a lot of different people who are here. These people in Acts chapter 2 have just witnessed, and maybe they are still in fact listening to or hearing a group of ordinary Jews from northern Israel, called that area called Galilee, these ordinary Jews from northern Israel, other apostles, uh, sorry, in, in addition to in addition to Peter, the apostle, other apostles, and other disciples as well, they are hearing them speaking in a variety of foreign languages, 
And those languages are the languages that are spoken, that were spoken in the far-flung places from which these pilgrims have traveled for the festival. So in his address to the crowd, what you're going to hear in this chapter, in his address to the people there, Peter is connecting this astonishing event with both Old Testament prophecy and the ministry of Jesus. So look at what he tells them in verse 33. He says this, "...being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit..." He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Simple, right? Clear. Well, maybe not. Let's try to break it down a little bit. Now think with me about the different parts of what we just saw in that verse. There's three parts that I notice here. First of all, Peter references first the exaltation of Jesus to the right hand of God. See that? What does he do second? Second, he confirms that Jesus has received the promise of the Spirit. The language is a little strange here, but he's therefore being exalted at the right hand of God, Jesus, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Again, Jesus. The third time, guess who it's focused on? Correct, Jesus. (laughs) What does he say in that third part? Jesus Himself is described as pouring out that Spirit upon His followers, as is clear, as is evident from their supernatural ability of these ordinary Jewish men from Galilee to speak in languages unknown to them. Now, before we go any further, please don't miss the Trinitarian nature of this verse. Did you see that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like we were talking about just moments ago, this triune, this three-in-one God, each divine person is present in this verse and throughout this passage, if you were able to go back and read over it again. And all are described as powerfully linked and powerfully at work for the good of needy sinners like us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, with that Trinitarian focus in mind, let's go back to verse 33. Let's go back to the the three parts of verse 33. Let's make sure we unpack each of those parts in light of the context. So notice, first of all, you'll see this on the screen here. First of all, the first thing emphasized is the exaltation of Jesus. The exaltation of Jesus. Starting in verse 22, Peter has been reminding his readers of what many of them already know. He's gone back and just simply told them, listen people, listen pilgrims, listen crowd. He's been emphasizing that Jesus of Nazareth did mighty works, that He was arrested, that He was broadly rejected by the Jewish leadership and the Jews in Jerusalem, that He was subsequently crucified by the Romans, and that now, as some were claiming, He had been raised up from the dead. He's just going back over these details with them. They had been in Jerusalem. They had heard about these things. This is less than two months after those events took place. Just weeks. Matter of weeks. But Peter is not going over these details as an uninterested observer. He's not just walking in like a newscaster with a microphone saying, You all know, Jack, that two weeks ago, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Verse 32. Verse 32. 
Peter identifies himself and the other spirit-empowered foreign language speakers, he identifies them as witnesses of that very resurrection. We are witnesses of that resurrection. What you've heard, what you've heard is part of the, you know, floating around, a little bird told me, the rumors that have been going around, what people are claiming. Friends, we are witnesses of that very thing, Peter says. Additionally, he supports this bold claim of a risen Messiah by appealing to the Old Testament. He goes back. He appeals to Old Testament texts like Psalm 16. The author of that psalm, King David, was dead and buried. He says that. But his descendant, Jesus, had fulfilled that Scripture by rising from the dead. He was the Holy One. Who had not, who did not see corruption. You can see that just above in the Old Testament quotes in your Bible. Finally, the symphony of strange languages that they were hearing and the resurrection of Jesus were not the only miracles that Peter's listeners should consider here. As most of them had heard and undoubtedly some had witnessed during his ministry, Jesus, verse 22, was a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him. So when they hear these, t- these languages being spoken, and they know it's some kind of a miraculous event, Peter is trying to say that this miraculous event is connected to all the other miraculous events that Jesus Himself did, that you know, even the Jewish leaders know took place. They didn't deny that the miraculous events had occurred. They would often deny that God was the one behind them. Remember, they accused Jesus of doing miracles by the power of Satan at one point. Even casting out demons by Satan's power, which doesn't, doesn't make any sense, does it? <laughs> Where the famous phrase comes from, a house divided against itself shall not stand. So, Peter is connecting these things together. But, if we were to continue past verse 33 we would continue to read about the exaltation of Jesus, this one confirmed by God through signs and wonders, this one who had risen from the dead. He, he continues to talk about this. It's clear Jesus is the central theme of everything Peter is saying. And what's emphasized is that Jesus did not simply rise from the dead. He also rose up to the right hand of God in fulfillment of another psalm. Psalm 110. And then Peter sums this up in verse 36 with a monumental declaration. Look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. He is Lord and Messiah. Can you imagine being in that crowd hearing that? Maybe people who had been standing there who had shouted crucify Him when Jesus was standing before Pilate. Now they were hearing this again. The truth. They were hearing the truth of this about who Jesus was. Now why is all of this important? All this exaltation of Jesus. Why is all of this so important in a message entitled The Promise of the Holy Spirit? 
It's important, brothers and sisters, because there is no giving of God's Spirit without the giving of God's Son. We can ever forget that. There is no giving of God's Spirit without the giving of God's Son. Christian traditions that have overemphasized the Holy Spirit have often done so because they've become untethered from the gospel of grace, the centrality of Jesus Christ, the importance of the gospel message, and they've wanted to emphasize signs and wonders and miraculous things. Just like the people who follow Jesus, show us another miracle, show us another miracle, give us another sign. Was Jesus happy they were doing that? Usually not. Not at all. He was critical of that spirit and that outlook. There is no giving of God's Spirit without the giving of God's Son. The Holy Spirit would not be poured out on Pentecost as He was unless Jesus had first poured out His life on Good Friday. Those two things cannot be separated. You see, unless the temple that is you, the temple that is you, the temple that is you, unless that temple is purified and sanctified by the blood of Christ, it cannot be a temple of the Holy Spirit. As Scripture says that it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, believer. But you are a temple because you were cleansed. You were purified by the precious blood of Christ. Now, the second thing emphasized here, take a look on the screen. The second thing emphasized in verse 33 is the promise of the Father. Continuing that Trinitarian pattern. Starting with the Son, Jesus Moving to the Father. What do we understand? There's a promise given by the Father. What had God promised? What had God the Father promised? Take a look on the screen. You'll see in both Luke Luke 24.49 and Acts 1.4. Remember, Luke is the author of both books. They really should be put together. Luke-Acts. Right? They're just one's kind of the sequel. Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Keeping those two things together. So Luke 24:49, the very end of Luke, and the very beginning of Acts, Acts 1:4, make this perfectly clear. What does the Father promise? He's promised the Holy Spirit. He has promised them the Holy Spirit. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, Acts 2:16, Peter points them back to the Old Testament. He takes them all the way back to the Old Testament, to the words of the prophet Joel. Hundreds of years before the time of Christ, Joel wrote these words that Peter quotes, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. The idea that the Spirit of God, which in the Old Testament only came on special people at special times, right, special needs, The idea that this Holy Spirit would be given to everyone was astounding. That every single believer, every single servant of God would have the Holy Spirit was amazing. It wasn't a secret truth. It wasn't a hidden truth. You didn't need to do the Bible code or whatever and have an answer, a special uh, answer key to kind of figure this out. It's clear from the Old Testament. Not only did Joel speak about it, so did prophets like Ezekiel, 36-27, and, prophet, and a prophet like Isaiah, 44-3. verse 3. 
It certainly wasn't a hidden truth to the apostles either. Less than two months before this amazing incident, this symphony of foreign languages that these people heard, less than two months before that, Jesus talked to His followers about the promise of the Spirit. Right? Building on the Old Testament, the promise of the coming of the Spirit. Building on that, Jesus talked about the promise of the Spirit. Listen to the words of Jesus here. We'll put them on the screen. This is John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Now before this, the Father has talked about the Father will give you. But here Jesus clarifies, I will send the Spirit to you. Ah! That lines up with what we just heard, right? In Acts 2, where it says that the, that the Son has received the promise of the Spirit and the Son is pouring out. Jesus is pouring out the Spirit that these people were actually seeing and hearing at that moment. Jesus has already said this before. He told His disciples only hours before He was crucified at that Last Supper in the upper room. He said... The Helper will come. I will send Him to you. The Father from the Father. The Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father. What will the Spirit do? He will bear witness about Me, says Jesus. And you also will bear witness because you have been with Me from the beginning. That's like a beautiful segue. I mean, that's like a perfect fit with Acts 1 and 2 if you read this last week. Remember, those who had been with the, from the beginning, when they replaced Judas as an apostle so they would have 12 apostles again, what was the criteria for that? Had to be someone that had been with these guys from the very beginning. They specifically say, I think, the, from the baptism of John till today. So we know that the Gospels only give us a little bit of a, a, a small preview of who was with Jesus. We know there were many others that were with them. Names that are lost to us that we'll know only before the throne of God one day. We know there were many others in addition to the names that we knew who had been there from the very, very beginning. And they just chose two. From that group of guys, they chose two. right? And then they chose one. God helped them to choose one, Matthias, to be the one who would replace, take that spot of Judas. So Jesus has already promised the Spirit. He's already talked about the function of the Spirit. And that promise or that preview from Jesus in John chapter 15, that's the perfect segue to a third truth emphasized here according to three parts of our main text in Acts 2.33. Take a look. The third point is the evidence of the Spirit. The evidence of the Spirit. So the exaltation of Jesus, the promise of the Father, and then the evidence of the Spirit. Right? Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit. What is the evidence of the Spirit? This entire scene in Acts 2 is sparked by what? It's sparked by the coming of the Holy Spirit. What they're seeing is the result of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, as Peter says. Remember the sights and sounds when you read this chapter. Verse 3, for example, tongues as of fire. Verse 2, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Sights and sounds. Remember what resulted from the coming of the Spirit. Verses 7 and 8. And verse 11, And the people who were there were amazed and astonished, saying, 
Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language, we hear them, verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They weren't just running down their like grocery list, <laughs> speaking in other languages, right? They weren't talking about current events or, you know, like the, the, the baseball game the other night. These people were hearing in these far-flung languages from across the Roman Empire. I think 15 regions are named in those verses. These guys are hearing in those languages the mighty works of God being attested to. Now, notice that word, that phrase, mighty works. That's the same phrase Peter used in verse 22 about Jesus' ministry, isn't it? Jesus was a man attested to you by God with mighty works. Just as Jesus had promised them, they were, in fact, bearing witness to Him. The Spirit had come, and the Spirit was going to cause them to bear witness, and that's exactly what they are doing right here, through the power of the Spirit. Peter, who had Peter himself... Peter, brothers and sisters, it's Peter we're talking about here who less than two months before had denied even knowing Jesus. How many times? Three times. And the last time, he invoked a curse upon himself. I don't know him! I don't know him! This is the guy who's standing up now in front of hundreds of people and proclaiming unabashedly with power Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Friends, that, that's, that's not human effort. That's the Spirit's power. That's the Spirit of God changing this man, empowering this man. This is what happens when the Spirit of God falls on His people. You see, the Spirit was doing just what Peter, sorry, what Jesus had said He would do. He was bearing witness to Jesus. And remember in our main verse, Peter pointed to Jesus as the one who was sending the Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So everything he's saying, you're hearing these languages, some of you think we're drunk, some of you think we're crazy, you're hearing this, but you can't explain it, I'll explain it for you. This is from Jesus. Why from Jesus? Because He's received the promise of the Spirit from the Father who predicted in the Old Testament. Why Jesus? Because God has made Him both Lord and Christ. The function of the Holy Spirit, the, the number one function of the Holy Spirit is to direct our attention always to Jesus, to the glory of God the Father. Do you see how the Trinity works? Spirit doesn't, um, the Spirit's not supposed to be up front. We don't pray to the Spirit. Right? It's never something Scripture calls us to do. Pray to the Father through the Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is always trying to direct the attention back to Jesus because that brings great glory to the Father. That relationship is what we see here. It's confirmed here for us. Brothers and sisters, we need to step back from just this one verse in light of the context. And I hope that you are encouraged by what you're hearing in this text. I would encourage you directly, be encouraged by this. If uncertainty and weakness seem to plague your life as a disciple, take your temperature, disciple, believer. Take your temperature right now. Take your spiritual temperature. 
Uncertainty and weakness, are those the things that are plaguing your life as a disciple? If so, there is good news this morning. And it is good news of certainty and power. God wants to meet you in that place where you're experiencing uncertainty and weakness. And He wants to meet you with certainty and power. Certainty because the Spirit is not simply a possibility. He is God's promise to you. Promise. God promises He will give you His Spirit. Look ahead and listen to how Peter reassures his listeners with this in verses 38 and 39. Just drop down. Acts 2, 38 and 39. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. No uncertainty in Peter's voice there. No doubt about that. You will receive the gift of this Holy Spirit. Peter goes on, For the promise is for you. Promise is for your children. The promise is for all who are far off. For everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Now some of you are like, No duh, pastor. No duh. But but I want to rouse you because you might be taking it for granted. It might be properly ordered in your list of doctrines in your head, but brother or sister, you have been given the Holy Spirit of God. You have it within you. He's present within you. Don't scratch your head. Don't give me a funny look. Don't doubt it. Because I can say with certainty, 100%, if you are a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You experiencing the Holy Spirit may be a different thing, but He's there. And there's evidence of Him if you are a true child of God through faith in Christ. There is assurance this morning, certainty according to what God has told us, the promise of the Spirit. If you've received forgiveness of your sins from God, then you've also received the Spirit of God. And that promise, according to Acts 1.8, is the promise of power. Again, if uncertainty and weakness are plaguing you as a believer in Christ, God has good news for you this morning of certainty according to His promise and power through the Holy Spirit being given to you. That power is available. Before His final exaltation, Jesus encouraged His followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, that region, and to the north and Samaria, and man, to the end of the earth, you will be My witnesses. Now, if it's one thing the New Testament does, as you keep reading past the book of Acts, and in the book of Acts as well. If it's one thing the New Testament does, it goes on to describe powerful ways in which the Spirit of God works in and through the children of God. Take a look on the screen here. Here's some of those examples. He gives... We, we have understanding through the Spirit, don't we? He opens our eyes. 1 Corinthians 2.14 We have the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.7 We have the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 We experience the unity of the Spirit in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.3 And best of all, we experience the sanctification of the Spirit in light of the death of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1.2 
But here in Acts chapter 2, that power of the Spirit, the emphasis here is clearly on Spirit-empowered words. How our mouth, how our lips, how our tongue is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Words that we see here point to the mighty works of God through Jesus Christ. That's how He wants to empower you and your lips. So think again, brother, sister, think again about my my initial statement from the very outset of this message this morning. Here it is. When we step out in faith in light of the finished work of Jesus and the promise of the Holy Spirit, we can rest assured certainty, power. We can rest assured that the power of God will be seen and heard in our lives, just like we see here in Acts chapter 2. What did faith, what did that faith look like in Acts? How did they step out in faith in Acts? Well, there's a couple ways. The first one might surprise you. The first way that these apostles, before the coming of the Spirit, the first way that they stepped out in faith was by waiting. And sometimes, friends, stepping out in faith does mean waiting. Simply waiting on God. Waiting was something Jesus called them to do. Though most of these disciples who had gathered there on Pentecost were from northern Israel, Jesus instructed them to wait in southern Israel, in Jerusalem. He said, don't go anywhere. Don't go home. Don't go back to Galilee. Stay right here until the Spirit comes. Pentecost, as the name indicates, penta in Greek, 50. It took place 50 days after the Passover. And Acts chapter 1 verse 3 tells us the resurrected Jesus appeared for 40 days. What does that mean? Well, based on 50 days after the Passover, three days in the tomb from crucifixion to Sunday, and 40 days of the ministry of Jesus, it means that these believers were waiting for a week. They sat for a week. But they weren't inactive. We know their faith was present because it says in one fourteen, Acts one fourteen, that they were devoting themselves to prayer. They weren't inactive. They were waiting and they were praying. That's how their faith was evident. They were waiting and they were praying. And when the Spirit did come... Peter's faith is beautifully on display here. Remember, this guy who denied Christ less than two months ago, two months earlier, this guy is standing up and publicly proclaiming Christ to a bunch of strangers, saying some words that might have ruffled a lot of feathers. And and, and really, brothers and sisters, what is the book of Acts if it's not a record of the Acts of the Holy Spirit? It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but it really is the Acts of the Holy Spirit when you read. And so I'd encourage you, I want to sensitize you, as you're reading in the coming weeks the book of Acts, be watching for the Spirit's power at work. Be looking at who the Spirit works through, how He's working through the people of God. As we continue to read, be on the lookout for the Holy Spirit. But if you belong to God's people, this morning then what about you? That's my question to you, brother, sister. What about you? Where is God calling you to step out in faith? 
With whom is God calling you to step out in faith? Take a moment and let the Spirit confirm that for you. Just just think for a minute. Listen. Listen to what the Spirit's doing in your heart right now. What is He bringing to the surface? Where does He want you to step out in faith? With whom does He want you to step out in faith? We can know this. Our rescue has been secured. Amen? Eternal life has been won. Amen? Death has been defeated. Amen? Our Redeemer, our Advocate, our Master is at the right hand of the Father. Amen? That's our confidence in the Gospel. We can rest assured because of that. And because He is there, the Holy Spirit is here. What comfort. I will send the Comforter, the Helper, the Counselor to you is what Jesus told us. To reassure us. Jesus has not only secured pardon for sinners like us, He's also secured power for mere mortals like us. Power to live in Christ and to live for Christ. Power to know Him and make Him known. Brother, sister, we can rest assured this morning in light of the Word of God. So I ask you again, where is God calling you to step out in faith? With whom is He calling you to step out in faith? Those around you, whether they're believers who need encouragement or unbelievers who need to hear the truth and love, they need to see and hear the power of God in you, just like in Acts 2. They need to see it and hear it. And let me tell you this, just like in Acts 2, when they see and hear the power of God at work through you, it may seem strange to them. Don't be, don't be thrown off by that. It may seem strange to them, just like it did in Acts 2. Like, what is happening here? Why are we hearing this? Oh, these guys are drunk. Right? They couldn't figure out what was going on. Same will be true for you. When they see and hear the power of God in you, they may scratch their head and think, this guy's weird. I don't know what's going on here. But let the power of God work. And step out in faith. Look for the doors that God is opening. And when He does, open your mouth in faith. He will open doors. You open your mouth. And trust that the power of God is there. That He's given it to you to speak through you, to empower you. And as you do that, rest assured in light of His gifts, His gifts of the Gospel, His gift of the Spirit, rest assured, thank Him now brothers and sisters. And those who do not have the Spirit of God this morning, I encourage you, seek Him now. Seek Him now. The promise is also for you. So seek Him now. Let's go. Let's go to prayer.